0: Good afternoon. It's 1300 on the East Coast. It's 1700 on the Zulu Coast. And welcome to PFG Live. Almost Machining, welcome aboard. Mr. Blodgett, welcome aboard. CJ Stevens, welcome aboard. Warren Jones, my neighbor, (laughs) welcome aboard. Is it more Nunev? morning evening after something I don't know it's uh, we're here though uh, how many of you had to use computers to figure out what time it was <laughs> I know I did but thank goodness uh, I don't even know no actually there's a mechanical clock in the shop that that runs my coolant pump so that's now off by an hour um, there's a few mechanical things around Evan, welcome aboard. Nice to see you. So, once again, you guys bring uh, the good luck. It's Sunday. It's a severe, clear day here in southern New Hampshire. Temperature 44 degrees, or or so I'm told. What a beautiful day. If I sound a little weird today, it's because I think I have a little cold. But I won't let that stop us. So, how are you all doing today? Mm. So, in news that doesn't matter, I'm checking out this new uh, Yeti, this new Yeti mug, with their newfangled uh, latching mechanism, and so far, eh, jury's out. Not sure. Um, honestly, I. I wanted to like it more, but I don't. And we could talk about that later. So let's see. Let's get some weather reports going here. Um location and temperature, please, and if there's any precipitation. Warren, I know you're fabulous. I've been watching your uh, your line boring videos, <laughs> and they're not that boring. Uh I know you you scored a a save recently on something that didn't quite come out right, and then you fixed it and made it better. And I'll just remind you all that Julia Child always said, you're always alone in the kitchen. Magnetic, so you can clean it. Yeah, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. That is true. Uh, You can take it apart, you can clean it. That's not the part I don't like. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. I don't like the design of the drinking hole, okay? Plus, there's no uh, explicit vent. So those two things kind of make it a little less pleasant to use, right? C.J. Stevens reports, low 40s and wet in East Tennessee, There's a lot of east to Tennessee, isn't there? (laughs) Warren says we're about the same temperature here. Well, yeah, that's because you're about, what, 20 minutes away? But good to hear. So, well, let's see. We got a bunch of uh, stuff on the DACA today. Uh, I've teased you with some uh, discussion of cylinder squares. Somebody brought that up last week, and I don't remember. I can't give credit for it, but somebody brought up the topic of cylinder squares, and it's actually a topic I enjoy discussing. So I spent some serious thinking time, and I will share share that with you, and uh, and we have some surprises coming up. So there is some shop news uh, we'll get to in a minute. Let everybody get checked in. Uh, Mr. Blodgett reports 40s and cloudy. On Whidbey Island, Washington. <laughs> of course, that was redundant. Uh, MAB Machine reports thirty-four in central Ohio. Outstanding. I have some friends in roughly central Ohio, but they don't they don't check in. They don't come watch. I'm a little sad. Anyway, um, so we have a little bit of shop news. If you've been following me on Instagram uh you know that i was hunting for a cutoff tool and the cutoff tool story was was pretty significant because it shouldn't be this hard <laughs> it shouldn't be this hard so i've been using a sandvik tool i didn't bring up the sandvik tool i've been using a sandvik tool which i get i guess it gets the name monoblock so it's it's a tool with a square shank it gets a carbide special carbide bit. Um, Oh, almost machining says I will be making cylinder squares in the near future. Some made to order. Excellent. I, I like that idea because I think it can be done really well. Um, and, and, uh, it's a fundamental, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. I, I'm, I'm a little overly excited about the whole cylinder square thing. Um, so where was I? Uh, yeah. So here, here's the story. One of one of my followers on Instagram, who became a viewer here, uh, sent me. He's actually local, and forgive me if I don't identify him. Uh, but he sent me this bar of titanium. So this is approximately two inch diameter. It's actually a, a tad over two inch diameter titanium. And he said, can you slice this up for me into, um, see it right here, into 3 16 inch uh, slices? And of course, what do I know? I said, sure. <laughs> no problem. Of course. Yeah. So the uh, the saw blade that I tried to do that with was unhappy. So we got about halfway through it and the saw blade said, I'm not doing this anymore which was no surprise by the way I I I get it so uh, I checked my my available tools and the available cutoff tool I had because I figured I'd go to the lathe which is which is much stiffer than than the saw and I would use a cutoff tool and I could only go to one inch with the tooling I had I can go deeper but with (laughs) very thin tooling which was not going to touch it so I went when I, I said, well, I'll, go, I'll just go buy a, a better cutoff tool. And this did not go well. This was not easy. It should be easy. Now, here's the problem. I've got a, a Vic, uh, V35TC from Dorian tool, which is my tool post on the Haas TL1. And I have been using this Sandvik tool in a regular boring tool holder that goes on the tool post so I went I went looking for something that will be able to do the two inches and I couldn't really come up with anything uh, acceptable until finally I I hit it hard in the last few weeks and many of you were very helpful I put a I put a uh, a post on Instagram. Many of you were very helpful about um, getting me some recommendations and you'd think that, Okay, I picked a recommendation. Now I can go buy it. It should be easy. <laughs> it was not easy. And finding a guy that, uh, you know, a tool dealer, a tooling dealer who knows their tooling, this is not easy. It wasn't, I I, I had a hard time. I even checked with some of my old standbys and I, I struck out. Finally, I called... um I called a local dealer here down in Lowell, uh Industrial Tool Supply, and they've always been very good to me. And finally going around and around a couple of times, we settled on a solution which was recommended by the uh by the group. And that was this um isgar tool which is called a an F-tang, I think you call it. All right. Let's put a I think we have a photo of this up here. Hang on. Let's see. Yep, there's a photo. I'll turn that on. Let's get out of studio mode here. There you go. So this is the tool we came up with. So this is a this is a new a new tool. Pretty neat. Okay. And it's sort of looks like a letter F. It's three millimeters wide, which is one of the requirements for getting my cut as long as I wanted it. And we found a, uh, a kit. The guys down at uh, Industrial Tool Supply found me the kit, which is everything you see right here. So 10, 10 of the uh, cutting tools plus the bar. Life is good. Hey, Carl is just checking in. Hi, Carl. Welcome aboard. So, um... Oh, also in this kit is this wonderful uh, widget which goes into the hole here and acts to, let's see if we get that acts to help you insert the tool or you move it down to the, the other hole, right and it helps you remove the tool, which I'm not going to do. So we got that far and I was actually pretty excited about it because many many of you folks said you were loving this tool. So then, <laughs> then I go on to the Dorian website. Now Dorian doesn't have a very good website for ordering. They have PDFs of their catalog, little little behind the times. So I have to go through my dealer anyway. So I, I, I fish up the tool number, double check, cross check, all that good stuff, and and this is what shows up, uh, this is what shows up in my delivery box, yesterday, okay. And uh, if you're saying to yourself, that's no tool holder, that's no moon, okay, you'd be absolutely right. I have no idea what this is, but this is not what I ordered. So I have to go back and sort that out. I do have a, a another tool holder. I might be able to lash something up to get this thing working, but I kind of want to get what I ordered. So we're halfway there. This is a familiar theme. We're halfway uh, to getting that cutoff tool. Will you have the insert facing up or down? I think it'll be traditional. I think it'll be facing up. Okay, and that's because um, of the forces. We we want the forces to to be going that way. And by the way, if you think about the TL one, there's no compound, right? Because it's a CNC lathe. It is a stiff boy. I'll tell you what. It is it is very stout. So I'm not too worried about about the stiffness of the lathe. Yeah, they Warren says he likes the way the insert is seated in the in the holder. It's pretty it's pretty cool. So I, I I'm really looking forward to uh, to trying it and getting that going. and I will, of course, make a video and uh, give you a full report. But amongst the things I have to get done is slice up this titanium as a favor. Um, and then i i actually have a couple of projects for the shop where i'm going to be working with two inch stock actually the finished product that i have in mind is inch and a half i think but same same so that was uh, that's the news in cutoff tools um <laughs> i will i also have uh let's see what else is going on so if you guys have any any specific uh cutoff tool comments uh, i'm i'm interested to hear about it but that was the uh, that was one of the shop successes for the week, or at least one of the pieces of progress. So we're getting closer. Do any of you find it easy? Oh, I need a cutoff tool that'll do blah, and you pick up the phone and or you go to your website, say order, and you're done. Does Does anybody find that that's easy? Because you know it's not my first rodeo, and it was a pain in the neck. Uh, let's see. A quick thank you to a uh, a supporter. You know who you are. I got uh, a secret squirrel, which is up on the board here. I thought I'd give you a little close-up. Thank you for the secret, secret secret squirrel. It's not a sticker, but it's on the sticker board. So thank you very much. Uh, let's see. What else is going on? Um, in the rotary, uh, rotary attachment department, I got the rotary attachment for the epilogue laser hang on I got a cough let's hear it for mute buttons Um, so the the, the epilogue laser comes with uh, two rotary attachments I, I shouldn't say comes with it makes available two rotary attachments one of them looks like a little lathe, I'm looking for a picture for you here come on I know we took pictures of it. Here we go. No, yes, no. Wow, I don't have pictures of it for you. I'm falling down on the job. So one of them is a, uh, it looks like a lathe, okay? And one of them uh, is called a rim drive, and it's designed to, it has two uh, sets of rollers, and it just rolls a a cylinder uh, for laser marking. That's the one I got. I got the rim drive. The other one has a three-jaw chuck. So the the rim drive, I, I successfully marked some of my tea containers as an experiment. I did, a, I did another container for another friend of mine, a travel mug. So that's all good. But I have a, uh, for this project that's upcoming, I, I need to laser mark on the rim of a disc-shaped thing. Okay, so imagine a, a disc and a, around the rim of the disc i i'm going to have an engraving from the laser so uh, i came up with a way to I, I could basically make fixtures to hold my thing and and put it in the rim attachment let that drive and then and then the uh the thing i'm marking will be on the end on a fixture and i could i could mark on the uh on the rim so that's what's coming up i'm pretty excited about it i think it's going to work out really well so uh, that's all working. So it it wasn't smooth. I got it installed. I started marketing uh, one of the one of the T Mug things, and I was not getting things to work the way I wanted to. And and you know when you when you're doing something for somebody else, you get one shot at it. And if you screw it up, it's broken. You it, you you know you can't repair it. So this was. Powder coat on stainless steel. So I looked up the recipe, and I got everything sorted out, brought the graphics in from uh, Adobe Illustrator into the laser printer driver, and it wasn't behaving right. I I hadn't hit print yet. I was doing the trace the outline of the thing you're about to print, and that didn't look right. So I get on the phone to Epilogue Laser. They're in cores. Uh, Coorsville. <laughs> They're in Golden, Colorado. Um, and they were super nice. And, and we finally got to the conclusion that I was back a couple of versions of software. So they said, do a software update for your printer driver. Do a software update, a firmware update on the machine. I did, long story short, did both of those things. Everything started behaving. Got the job done. So rotary laser attachment, working great. Um, in other news, I, this is a little bit of nerd ham radio uh, news because some of you are hams. I'm starting to look at a little radio and, and I'm interested to hear if anybody has any experience with this. Uh, this is the ICOM 705, which is a little tiny, uh, box. In fact, when I was at the I was. I went. Went the ham radio outlet, and I took one of their bro. I said, "Do you have a brochure?" And the guy looked at me funny, like you want. A, you want a brochure? You don't know how to use the the interwebs. So he he gives me this brochure, and what I did is I folded it up to be the size of the radio. Okay, so at least at least these two surfaces here, right, the top and the front, was the size of the radio. Hey, Henry, welcome aboard, sir. So this is this is literally the size of the radio. It's that big. And it's this deep. And then I started holding this thing around in the truck to see uh, where this thing would fit. So I won't get into a lot of depth on this, but it's a HF, UHF, VHF uh, radio, maximum 10 watts out, um, cute as heck. And uh, it'll even run on a a battery, on a built-in battery. So that... That was a, a an investigation. So I'd be interested in here if any anybody uh, has any experience with that, and uh, and we will get to that. So that was another thing we did this week. Henry, how's the weather? And how's the time? Did you figure out what time it is? <laughs> uh, the United States moved. Ah, oh, Mister Simpson's here. Time change. I tried. I really tried. I, I made the mistake also when I posted, and uh, I apologize. And, yeah, it's probably going to affect, you know, our our live viewers. But uh, we'll all get caught up. So just for future, oh, on the time change, it will remain at 1300 Eastern time. So whatever that means to you, that's what it means. And I figured out that it's 1700 Zulu. Right, Henry? Did I get that right? Should be 1719 right now, uh, uh, UTC Zulu. All right, so moving on. Um, recent posts in Instagram, I want to I want to thank um, Adam Balog of Laney Machine Tech. He's working on his uh, Fizzo interferometer, and it looks very exciting. So if you're not following um, Laney Machine Tech, you really ought to, because he's got some really cool stuff happening. Um, and looking forward to uh to see that it's 11c there in germany you're in germany now are you back from every from your travels or did i get that wrong again (laughs) can't keep track of you sir um so before we get into our major topics um i think that's all the news uh, definitely go check out Laney Machine Tech and and the Fizzo Interferometer. You may have seen um, my last posts on lapping. I'll give you a lapping update. Were that I successfully reversed my, uh, my lap curvature. So you may recall when I first made the laps. Okay, Henry, thank you. <laughs> I get confused. When I first made my laps... I, I, uh, I did the initial, uh, run in of the lap of the working lap. Um, I'm sorry, of the conditioning lap on top of the working lap. And unfortunately I, 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 I ran that, I conditioned for too long and I should have been checking it as I was going and I wasn't, that was an error. I didn't I don't know how long how fast these things go so when I was all done I ended up with a very convex working lap which was generating concave work pieces uh, once I started lapping my work pieces and they were measurable and visible on the uh, inspection with the optical flap so I flipped the uh, conditioning flap, flap the conditioning lap on top of the working lap and I started working it to get that curve to reverse and I did so I was able to show by measurement that the parts were now now had flipped the other way that's what that was my goal was to go through zero right and and see it the other way and and then start working my way back to flat so that's where I'm at right now I have not gotten back to uh, it's very flat. It's not perfectly flat. And next thing I'm going to focus on, and I don't, I don't have anything to report uh, specifically yet, is the technique. Because I don't think I really have a handle on the lapping technique. Uh, Robin talked about it. Uh, Tom Lipton talked about it on our discussions. Um, so that's the next thing I'm going to focus on. I, I'm very pleased that I feel like I can control the laps now. Uh, and that's a that's a win. So stand by, we'll 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 get back to that. Um, yeah, and and we'll have some more lapping news, uh, but overall, very happy with the with the progress. So I think that's everything in news. Um, and uh, if you guys have any any news, please put it in the chat, and we'll talk about it. So today, the topics we got a couple of topics. Um, and we had a couple of questions come in, so let me take them in uh, in in reverse order. So we're going to take the out of the off-topic uh, items first, and then we will we will zero in on our topic of the day, which has to do with, of course, cylinder squares. Um, so Henry says he's got himself a new project too. He bought a 70,000 RPM air spindle for internal grinding. That sounds really cool. I am hoping for pictures and uh, excellent results. So, Henry, what diameter uh, ID uh, do you anticipate working on? Because 70,000 is, uh, is pretty impressive. So I'm, I'm guessing uh, we're in the 1 centimeter uh, uh, range, is that correct? Or are we going a little bigger than that? And are you proud of me that I went all metric on you right there? <laughs> that sounds really cool. I'm looking forward to pictures. Um, so uh, here's a, a topic that came up that I uh, uh, I want to address. is: Would anybody be interested in an audio-only version of this Uh. PFG Live on a podcast channel in which we would just take the audio and we would we would put it out as a separate podcast. Would that help anybody or is that not useful? That's my question for you. So what I have done is I've signed up for an Apple uh, podcast account. So we sort of have the spigot ready to go. Uh, and then I would have to do some work to just translate the audio portion of of the um, PFG Lives into into podcasts. And it, it's a matter of convenience. Because I think most of what we do is, is transmitted on audio. And there's a little bit on the PFG Lives that we do um, in graphics or, or video. Let me know what you think. I'm interested to hear your feedback. So I got another um, another good question today. Let me let me give credit where credit is due, uh, and specifically, let's see where is he? Evan Evan asks. I'm going to read his question. Evan wants to buy a Speedio, and I can't blame him because it looks like a really cool machine, uh, and he wants to make his Speedio make money. So his question is how do I buy a how much did he say it was going to be 80 to a hundred thousand dollar machine and justify it by having itself pay for itself and he didn't specifically say this but by making and selling a product so he has he has a couple of ways to, actually he did he did specifically say that So uh, Panos says, very useful, this is with respect to the uh, podcast idea, very useful while working in the shop, battery-wise, and also not having to stop the audio every time you do something else on the phone. Greetings from Greece, by the way. Welcome. Welcome aboard, sir. Nice to hear from you. Um, Okay. It won't take too many positive responses. To get me to do this, um, it'll take a little time for me to sort out the mechanism for how to push that. (laughs) You got to love it live, right? Okay, so continue the feedback. I appreciate it. So Evan wants to have his Speedio pay for itself. And this is a really good question. Because he could provide a service or he could provide a a product. Oh, he's here. (laughs) Evan says, I should say I'm a hobbyist looking to justify having one, not as a full-time business. Very important point. And I have some uh, opinions okay Warren is providing a the thumbs down on the podcast he said it might be interesting and helpful however I would never listen unless I was in the car for a long time working in customers shops does not lend itself to podcasts all that well it's a good point okay so Evan uh, Evan brings up this question so I think I was in the similar position in that I always wanted to buy toys also. My excuse was that I was an am an antenna consultant. We don't talk about that a lot, but I got a funny feeling one day we're going to be talking more about it. And uh, I used my machine shop to make prototypes. So that led to me investing in machines. And you can make the argument that the work I did paid for the machines, which it did, but there was a couple of links in that chain. Um, then later, when I started making PFG stones, available at pfgstones.com, um, I started a business which made a product and that that justified purchasing a grind <clears throat> a grinder and and that took off so what do you do i like the idea of making a product and selling the product however making and selling a product has less to do with making the product than it does marketing And I don't mean marketing from the standpoint of um, slick advertising or, you know, running ads or, you know, doing the the, uh, podcast circuit. I mean finding a need and filling it, which sounds almost cliche, but it really is true. Uh, you brought up Evan in our conversation. You brought up a couple of markets, and we talked about um, the ham radio market, physics, you know, scientific instruments market, and uh, the the. I'm going to say use the word toy market, but right, really, I mean fidget spinners. Remember fidget spinners. So <clears throat> you have to find a need and fill it, and sometimes that's not obvious. What. What I've done is I've made things that I wanted, right? And then, and then I talk about it, and all of a sudden somebody raises their hand and says, "Hey, I want one of those." And the way it worked with PFG stones was, I published a picture of the PFG stones that I had uh, uh, developed, and the the tray, my red, tr- my my trademark red tray, and. I just posted a picture of it said hey here's what I did and seven guys came to me and said are you selling those now when seven people ask you if you're selling them what is the correct answer (laughs) yes I am so that literally is how that started so you you were there other things that I've made in the past that nobody was interested in many okay so um, you have to recognize when opportunity strikes another cliche but it, it it's true um so the best advice i can give you out of all of that uh noise is do what you're interested in doing do what you love and if you make a thing find people who want to buy your thing and and re- but be be you have to be sensitive to to that it's also easy to miss it, to miss the signs that you have a product you can sell. Okay. So um, there's risk involved. You're gonna lay out, you know, eighty to a hundred thousand dollars because you want the toy. That's a risk. But on the other hand, you're not gonna have a whole bunch of business lined up to justify the toy unless you have the thing made. So solving that problem is not trivial. And Robert Simpson says, "That's how I ordered my four-inch stones. Thank you very much. Yeah. Don't forget the thumb. I, I missed it. I missed the thumb. I'm sorry. Um, and and uh, you'll have to explain the thumb because I'm, I'm forgetting it. So uh, that's my opinion. My opinion is." If you want the machine now, and you think you're you're a, a creative enough person to come up with something that your speedio can make and sell, and then pay for the speedio, fine. But you have risk. Hey, Rob Renz is here. Welcome aboard, sir. Um, thank you for being here. We haven't gotten to the uh, the extreme technical stuff yet. We're about to do. I think we're going to wrap up this topic. So <clears throat> that's it. Decide if you want to take the risk, and then go uh, go buy the machine and trust yourself to to make this happen. Great YouTube content. Um, as far as uh, oh, don't forget. Yeah, yeah. K Bonk says don't forget the thumbs up and the like and the subscribe. Uh, as far as what market to attack, again, it's your it's the thing that you are most interested in. So for me, it was um, learning machine shop stuff. I mean, I was just digging it, and and the and the surface grinder was the the pinnacle for me of of oh I'm going to learn this and get good at it, and then then that c- converged with a market saying to me, hey, I'm interested in that, and that's how that's how it worked. Um, so there you go. I think <clears throat> I think uh, I'm, I'm excited for you. I like the Speedio. So one of the things about the Speedio is you can make parts fast, which means you can make parts, small parts, relatively inexpensively. So you're sort of figuring out, okay, it's a thing that's going to be about this big. What's it going to be? I don't know, but if you keep the if you keep thinking about it, it will show up on the horizon. Um and if anybody else has has comments on that please put it in the chat so then i get a call from uh not a call i get a message this is going to lead us into our topic for today i get a message from uh uh my buddy uh the machine shop uh, what's his full hang on anyway uh i i don't know if you're here are you here uh, he, he's, he runs a lab down at a, uh, a a university a little technical school on the Charles River down in Cambridge and uh, he is he was just thinking about how do you scrape in an angle right because um, he was thinking of projects for students and we talked about how you scrape in an angle and what I said to him was and this is something you could chime in on Rob Robin uh I believe, from the way I was taught, is that you would scrape in one surface of the angle. Do I have an angle here? Yeah, I, I have something that will serve the purpose. All right. This is this is a bit of uh, a small item, but uh, this is not quite an angle plate, but this will serve to illustrate. So what I would do is I would scrape in, you know, one surface and make a nice flat surface. And then I would measure, I would start measuring for perpendicular on this surface and marking it, and then start scraping that in by, oh, step scraping, I couldn't remember the term, by step scraping until this was basically uh, uh, where I wanted it, and then I'd scrape in this surface for flat, and then measure again, and correct, and measure, and correct. So it's not for the faint of heart, Um, it's not a super simple project. In fact... When I took my scraping course with Richard King that was taught at John Saunders' shop low those many years ago, um, it's got to be six years ago? I don't remember. Um, I actually bought and brought with me a couple of pieces, and, and I thought one of them was an angle plate, and I thought the angle plate was going to be my project. But actually, um, I I never got... Uh, past the uh, i brought a straight edge a cast straight edge that ended up being my project and i never got to the angle plate and i didn't understand why that was the more complicated well very much more complicated part until later but that would be a that would be the next project so that's a little a little complicated but what do we mean when we when we talk about a right angle right uh what's what's so hard about? you know a right angle well we've talked about generating flat from fundamentals you have nothing right and Robin actually did this I'm glad you're in the chat Uh, Robin took three surface plates and this is by the way covered in the in the more special tools book um, fundamentals of precision and if you, you execute the Whitworth method, well, well, what is the Whitworth method? The Whitworth method is you take a plate, you label it plate A, and you mark, you mark plate A on plate B, and now you scrape plate B. Okay, so you take off the high spots. Now you take, you take B and you mark C, and you scrape plate C. and Now you take C and you mark A, and you scrape plate A. And as you go around that cycle you are getting to flat on all three surfaces. And you could convince yourself that you don't need anything else to get to flat using that method. Uh, thank you, Robin. Foundations of Mechanical Accuracy. By the way, that book is still purchasable from More Special Tool, and it's, a, it's 150 bucks. When I bought it, it was 150 bucks. Totally worth it okay um, and in the interest of full disclosure I actually found a PDF uh, thanks guys I appreciate it. yeah I know I was kind of fuzzy on that. I found a PDF online and then I bought the book because it was well well worth the money and we want to encourage that sort of thing so get that book and read it and we're gonna to be touching on a lot of what came out of that book uh, today so The Whitworth method allows you to auto-generate a flat surface. This is super important in the whole world of accuracy. Um, So the Egyptians and their subcontractors built the pyramids, and Whitworth was not even around yet. Um, Yeah, Robin says the pictures are worth $150. Totally True, you may recall that I uh, I bought and showed off this uh, Moore rotary table that uh, came out of the Apollo program at MIT, and we actually found the pictures in that book of the of the room where they scraped in the Moore rotary tables, and it was awesome. MAB machine reports. It's hundred and ninety dollars plus shipping and handling now. Totally worth it. Okay, so you can use the Whitworth method and start from nothing and auto-generate a flat. Okay, kind of the next thing you need to do is 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 figuring out how to get a right angle. So the Egyptians built the pyramids, and their subcontractors built the pyramids, and uh, you know they didn't have a surface plate. <laughs> you know what they used? Who knows what they used for flat? How do you measure flat? You know when you're when you're building a pyramid. Uh, I'm I'm delaying because of the lag here, uh, but this is actually a pretty important point, and it is actually useful for what we're talking about. And and Adam Balog has talked about it also. Thank you, Robin. <laughs> Robin was the first one. Water. So they had they had these trenches of water around the pyramid they were building, and as long as the wind wasn't blowing and it was steady, the surface of that wall, And, of course, you could average it. There you go, man. Uh, MS Live also got it. Uh, that surface of water was the flat reference, right? And then you can pick off of that flat reference and go do your other stuff. <clears throat> but the next thing you need is, is this right angle, okay? So... There's a bunch of ways uh, to get there but let's let's just do thought experiments to see if we could arrive at at uh, the same thing. When I um, when I bought uh, these Windy Hill foundry angles um, yes, flat and locally level good good words. Um, so the Windy Hill foundry levels, by the way these are these are awesome castings. Uh, he does a great job. Look up Windy Hill Foundry. So I bought two of them. And you know you can argue that if I have two angles, right, I could check them against each other. The problem is, and I think you see where we're going with this, what if the two angles had the same error? So now really you need three of them. So if you had three items that you were trying to make right angles out of, you could use the Whitworth method because you've already solved the problem of flat. So now you have a flat surface. You take a right angle thing, and you check it against another right angle thing. And you do the same thing. You mark it. You figure out what adjustment you have to make. So you have A marks B, B marks C. Yeah, Rob Robin says, still off by the curvature of the Earth. So it's funny you should say that. I'm actually interested in... in uh, I have a laser uh, uh, surveying transit, also known as a theodolite, and I am led to believe that the curvature of the Earth is measurable over the span of a football field, and like, like really well, like really easily using that equipment. So I think one of these days we're going to do that, and and this should be a lot of fun. So you could use the Whitworth method to go from, from you know a a to b market adjusted b to c c to a go around that circle and you end up with three right angles so that's another way to get to that to get to that right angle um is that the most fundamental right angle or as we've been led to believe is a cylinder square okay this is a this is a Brown and Sharp model five five eight cylinder square. Uh, is a cylinder square the fundamental source of right angles? So what is a cylinder square? Uh, let me turn on a picture here. This will give you a little bit of eye candy. A cylinder square sits on a surface plate and serves as a as a reference. It has some really cool properties. Um, and let's let's talk about this a little bit. Oh, what just happened? I lost my picture. I got kicked off my own my own library. Please stand by while I fix the slideshow here. That was funny. Come on. Sign in. So the cylinder square has some really super cool properties, and it's actually pretty straightforward for you to make one of these. And this is ground and hard and precision and magnificent. but really, what if you reach into your pile of stuff and you come up with a piece of scrap? So uh, I'll point out that Tom Lipton did a uh, few videos on on cylinder squares and, and his uh, objective, was to be able to make a an inexpensive but highly accurate... <laughs> Kevin Blodgett says, I'm told it's hip to be square. It is. And round. Um, so Tom Lipton did some videos on uh, basically a McMaster car-based uh, cylinder square that starts with a piece of... I believe it was... Um, Piston material, there's a name for that. Somebody help me with that. Uh, And really, that's what you need. So this is is a piece of not terribly impressive, I think this is 4142, and it's literally just a cutoff that was in the shop. I clearly was doing something fancy on this end. Actually, I think I was making a cylinder square, and I aborted it. I don't remember exactly what was going on here. But let's say you had a lathe. And you chucked up a piece of stock in your lathe, and you turned a cylinder on it, right? And now, oh, uh, actually, Warren, what do you call that material uh, that you use in um, in the hydraulic cylinders that you can buy? Adam Adam Booth uses it all the time, and I just can't remember the name of it, which which is already chrome plated and and uh, very high tolerance but still reasonably inexpensive put that in the chat for me would you so you have a lathe and you're going to turn a piece of material yeah thompson well thompson shaft is one of them but there's some other name for the the hydraulic cylinder stuff and i don't remember what it is so thompson shaft is an example um how would you know, how would you proceed to start to make a cylinder square? So you turn your material, and the first thing, indu- yeah, Warren says induction-hearted chrome rod. Okay, that sounds like a generic term for it. So you turn you turn yourself a cylinder on your lathe, and now you get out a, an instrument called calipers. Now, I don't mean measuring tool, Mittatoyo calipers. I mean literally the calipers that you could set to a certain size and then compare your calipers to the cylinder. S- uh, Robin says scrape or lap the edges of a square plate is the easiest and can be checked with an optical flat for flatness of the faces. So that's pretty cool. So Robin is saying take a square plate, right, so take take a, a piece of, uh, of plate and then work on these edges and that gets you quickly to, to a solution. And Robin also says piston wrist pin. That's a good idea. In fact, that was just, well, we'll get to that later. So any of these materials that you can get that are already really close to what you want and, and isn't going to require a heck of a lot. But you could also turn it on the lathe. You could take a, 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 a comparator, um, a, a caliper, and check for uh, cylindricity, right? And... What if you're turning something on the lathe and it's not coming out perfectly uh, cylindrical? It's starting to get a little cone-shaped. You know how to deal with that. You can offset, you know, you can hold it with your tailstock, offset your tailstock, and eventually um, get yourself to the point where you have a good cylinder. And that's really step one, is I have a good cylinder. Um, So that's pretty straightforward. The The next thing is how do I get the face right? So you're, you're still in the lathe and you're turning your cylinder and you face the end of your cylinder. Well, what if your axes are off? You're going to get either uh, a dished face or a crowned face because of your compound, uh, not your compound, your cross slide not being perpendicular, right? Because you're depending on the lathe. It doesn't matter. So... Uh, you want it to be dished, and you absolutely don't want it to be crowned. So you can go in there and uh, do, your, do your cut. You can compare it. You can go over to your surface plate and see, did I get you know, a flat surface when I did that, that facing operation on the lathe? What does is, what is Brown and Sharp do? Right? Brown and Sharp dishes the end of the cylinder square so that the periphery is left. See the recess here? Now think about this. If you dished the end of that rod so that you had a periphery, some some little land on the periphery, and it was a little crowned, does it matter? Not that much. If it was dished, does it matter? Not that much. So that's why that's done, is to reduce the errors, to manage those errors. So once you do that on the lathe, you now, you, can, you, you lop off this, this part, and now you stick it on your surface plate, okay? What if there's, what, you know, how do you manage the errors? All, all of engineering is managing errors, because there's always errors, and all we do is manage them. So now you go over and you, you observe what the errors are. How do you do that? Well, there's a, there's a few ways to do that. One this this device right here is called a uh, uh, an indicator square I think is the is the proper term this one happens to be a uh, um, Taft Pierce a Taft Pierce uh, indicator square so this is a this looks like a indicator holder right but it's not it's just a, a beautiful base with a beautiful ground finish and all that kind of stuff, and this here indicator, and I can measure the cylinder square. And then what do I do? Well, I go around the other side of of the cylinder square, or of the cylinder, and I measure it. And if, if I go and I measure with my indicator square on both sides, and they're equal, then it's square. And if it's not equal, it's leaning. So now what happens? I march around my cylinder, right? do this mentally and march around my cylinder until I find two sides that are equal that will always happen you will always find two sides that are equal that's a minor lie but a small one and when you find those two sides you found you found square even on an unsquare cylinder think about that somewhere around the cylinder square even if it's leaning, because the bottom is not, not quite in line, you're gonna find two opposite sides that are square. So now you can you have a measurement that will let you adjust that until it, it's square all around. Do you need to? It depends on how critical the work you're doing is. So the point is is that you can get to this reference for perpendicularity without a lot of technology and you can get to this reference without any technology you can use the Whitworth method so I want to show you one that I made recently and I hope you like it because I think it's something everybody could reproduce in their shop and it won't take terribly long and I will I I'll be posting a video on how I made this uh, and I think you'll like it. So, first you need a piece of uh, stable material. You know, what's more stable than a piece of 2x4? Uh, and the first thing you need to do is put three screws in the bottom. What does that get you? That gets you three points of contact. What does three points define? It defines a plane. Once you've done that, you can go up on on one side of it and put two more screws. That gets you two points of contact. What does that define? That defines a line. Okay, and now you can put this down on your on your plate, and you can you can bump this up against something and make a measurement. Now, if you make three of these, now I know it's expensive. I'm I'm sensitive to the costs here. Okay. But if you made three of these, you could execute the Whitworth method and have A work against B, B work against C, and go around that loop. And when it's all done, you'd have three squares that are very accurate, right? So, and by the way, these are hardened surfaces. Be very, make no mistake about it. These uh, these drywall screws that I used. Hardened surfaces. I'm reminded of uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Jones. I don't remember his first name. I'm sorry. Who is a micro uh, a telescope uh, mirror guy, and he's an opt he's actually an optics professional. And one of the funniest things, well, funny to me, but it's very practical that he does is he teaches people how to how to make telescope mirrors with just junk. <laughs> And he made he made a, uh, a a a spherometer out of a piece of wood and four drywall screws, and uh, it was just absolutely hysterical. So uh, it, I I'll see if I could find a link to that video, but that sort of inspired me to make my version of the uh, high precision square. By the way, this is adjustable. So, let's think this through. So, if you're going to make this, you're going to make you're going to make A, you're going to make B, you're going to make C. Yes. So, Robin is bringing up the second order issues, and I'm glad you did. <laughs> so, Robin says that cylinder square measurement method can be influenced by probe tip shape and rest edge shape if not square from all angles. Here's what Robin means, and I'll tell you why Robin is right and why I disagree. Um so the way this indi- this indicator square works is you see this this guy has a a foot down here that you bump up against the the part, and you'll notice that it is it has is curved on in both directions, right? So that when you bump up against the part, it's a point contact. That's important. Also, the tip of this indicator is is also a, a spheroid, so it has a point contact. And if if you don't have point contacts, you're going to get an error. And and that is that's going to be an error in that measurement. So in my uh you know, PFG square, you'll note that the contact points are not spheroid and they may not provide a good contact. My point is is that you manage the errors right so if you manage those errors and you know you you know that's a problem you're not going to be we're not going to be building any uh, any hypersonic aircraft using this tool however if you put the screws in at an angle right and you get the curve of the screw you can get back to that point source and it's not bad. Okay, I didn't I didn't do that in this particular version, but that's a good point. So I think we're gonna have we're gonna have Rev B of this, which is the the Robren's uh, modification on the PFG um, tree bark square. So anyway, uh, build three of these, right? And you you here's the procedure: you you bring A up to B, and you see which which top or bottom has a gap, right? Now you take out half that error by turning the screw. Now you go B against C, and you measure it, and you see which top or bottom has a gap, and then you make the adjustment on C to take out the error. Now you make C on A, right, and you see which one has the gap, and you adjust A to take out the error. So you go you go around that loop a few times, and you will have three excellent accuracy squares, <laughs> and and uh, it didn't cost you a million dollars. So I hope you'll appreciate you know the humor here, but in fact it's teaching you um, sort of what's important as far as making that that right angle reference, and as far as the cylinder square is concerned. Uh, It's a similar thing except you're you're starting with a lathe, right? So you're starting with the ability to turn on the lathe Robin says point contact is not the issue It's the lean in the opposite directions from the two sides that can cause the possibility of error Okay, so what Robin's saying is these two screws Have to be adjusted for square So that these do their job properly and I get that Okay what my point is is that if that if that isn't perfect, the contribution to error is relatively small compared to the contribution of error uh, to error of the other adjustments. So you 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 make a tool that gets you closer to a better tool, which gets you closer to a better tool, which gets you closer to a better tool. So your point is absolutely taken. Um, I I will. Say one more thing about this model 558 from Brown and Sharp, which is that actually, if you read the bottom of it, it says max tilt. It's like what the heck? Well, this thing actually has it goes this way. If you put this side down on the surface plate, this thing is intentionally tilted, and then they give you these markings. Let's see if you can see see the markings. They give you these markings around the cylinder such that you rotate the cylinder square until you get a blackout fit with your part, which looks like this, all right? You put your part up there, and when you get that blackout fit, you then read the numbers on top of the cylinder square, and that is that is the number of tenths in six inches out from square that you just measured. So, Brown and Sharp did something magnificent in that they took that tilt and they turned it into a tool. And and that is wicked cool. Um, oh, yeah, Robin says he's talking about the cylinder square measurement only. That's true. So, you know, you make an assumption with a cylinder square that you're measuring on this line, and if you measure, if you tilt that line, then you start not measuring um, exactly on the, uh, what would we call that? We'd call that the tangent line of the cylinder. Again, absolutely true. Um, it's an error. You manage that error. So you could, you, you could get close, and then you can get closer uh, later. But I think it's so cool that Brown and Sharp took that error and turned it into a measurement tool. Uh, and that's what makes this particular tool pretty unique. So, in summary, I think you're you're able in the shop to make yourself a pretty decent cylinder square on the lathe uh, or from the two by four, uh, and then have something that's that's a pretty good reference. And you can do it from fundamentals without a measurement instrument. Let me say that again. You could do it from fundamentals without a measurement instrument without something that refers back to inches or meters what if the error in so this is sleeping saloon what if the error in your cylinder square is that it's a cone that is an error because now it depends where on the cylinder square you're you're making your measurement yeah robin says then it's not a cylinder correct the, when you're turning your cylinder, or grinding your cylinder, and you go in with your, your calipers, right? Not, I'm not measuring uh, per se, I'm just comparing. It's a comparator. I'm going down my cylinder, and if the numbers are all the same, then it's a cylinder. If the numbers are not the same, it's not a cylinder, and you have to correct until you get a cylinder. That's what makes a cylinder square a cylinder. So you can't not have it be cylindrical. But you can determine cylindricity without uh, a special tool. Well, I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into the whole question of, of getting to right angles. Um, I think I think it's, it's kind of fun, and I was literally uh going to make my own out of the 4142 stock until i found this uh, brown and sharp well thanks for being patient while i uh while i had my uh my brief coughing fits here uh but this was a lot of fun and i will post a video as soon as we're done here with the pfg live (laughs) <laughs> Robin, you are never a troll here. Ever. You're an excellent teacher and I appreciate you very much. <laughs> hey, if if there were no trolls, this would not be the PFG live, right? We depend on the trolls. We encourage the trolls. And I'm very I'm very appreciative. So, um who knows if I could find a couple more? Uh, if I could find more stock in my shop, I may make two more of these and do this. I will point out that I did, in fact, calibrate. You're going you're gonna to hate me for this. I did calibrate my new square to this cylinder square uh, before I came up here. So that was the last thing I did in the shop. And it, it has these very convenient uh, micrometer adjustments right here fact I found that I had to do it by hand very very carefully and uh, this is calibrated. this came out really nice all right guys <laughs> let's go down our checklist let's make sure we did it um, if you guys have any questions on any topic put it in the chat now we'll see if we can get to them uh, there is a PFG live coming up next week I don't see any impediments to it uh, no topics have been selected but we welcome you and um, we'll keep everybody posted on the progress of various projects that are going on. Once again, check out, uh, Laney machine tech, his Fizeau interferometer is coming along great. And, uh, I, am kind of, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of (laughs) interested in what's going on there. Um, and in the absence of any more uh, questions or topics, we're going to close this up and I want to thank you for, for uh, coming and, Mr. Blodgett says, is cellulose foam less heat sensitive than tool steel? Absolutely is. In fact, it's a very good insulator, so it is less affected by body heat. Thank you for thank you for asking. I appreciate that. Sleeping Saloon says, since there is no perfect cylinder, I'm curious if there's a clever compensation method for a traffic cone square. <laughs> I'm gonna have to sleep on that one. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to sleep on that. Well, you'll you will notice that this, you know, this version of the square, while it is not a, a cylinder square, does have all sorts of compensation adjustments, right? Yes, it does. MAB machine says that the uh, cellulose version is not heat sensitive, but very moisture sensitive. That is true. Robert Simpson asks, did I lap the screw threads? Yes, I did. In fact, first I took a box of the screws and I picked out, you know, good matches uh, so they matched each other. And then I proceeded to lap it down to 0.5 micron with diamond slurry, as Robin taught me. So. Okay, Robin said troll troll mode off, and I will point out that that was a little premature, wouldn't you say? I think so. All right, guys, we'll see you next Sunday. Um, We're done with this time change nonsense, so uh, we'll see what happens. I don't have a plan for next Sunday, but that's what makes this great. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Kenny Eaton throws a grenade by saying, What gets finished first, Rob Wren's surface plate or Tom Lipton's press? (laughs) I'm sorry, I, I don't have time to address this. So we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for being here. Take care.